I want to talk to you um, from Malachi, and um, I'm going to jump around. I'm, I'm going to give you, for those of you who want to take notes, I'm gonna, what I'm going to ask of you is that you would at least think about writing down the scriptures, because what I'm saying is not as important as what the Bible says. And so, um, Malachi 3, verse 1 through 3, write that down if you want to actually go over this later. Malachi 4, 4 through 6, you can write that down later, uh, check that out later. Luke uh, 1, 8 through 17, Matthew 17, 1 through 13, Mark 9, 1 through 13, and Luke 9, 27 through 36. Now you're going to see the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, they are going to tell the same story and they're going to focus in on different uh, points of the story. And so together they're telling a more uh, robust and fuller picture of the same story. It's kind of like if you're sitting in the room in one part and someone's sitting in the room at another part and then someone's all the way at the back of the room and everyone is describing the room, you're going to get different angles of the same room and so you're going to get a greater detail. These are not conflicting stories. They're stories that paint a bigger and fuller picture, kind of like a 3D picture. And so... Um, God, in his wisdom, has allowed uh, us to have several different accounts of the same story because perspective really does matter. And each writer brings a unique uh, perspective. And each writer is actually looking through different lenses. So they may have been, this is important, in the same place. Uh, they may have been in the same place at the same time, but yet what they saw in the same place at the same time is something slightly different. And it's just like us today. There are people in the room, people online, people listening to the podcast. They're listening through a filter. They're seeing through a lens. They're in a different place. And so not everyone is going to see the same thing the same way. And so uh, the beauty of Scripture is that it gives us a much uh, fuller picture instead of just an idea of one person. It gives us an idea of many people. And Luke, what's interesting about Luke is that Luke is a, is a Gentile. He's like one of us. He's not a, he's a non-Jew. So he's a, he's a Greek uh, and he's telling a Jewish story. So his focus is going to be slightly different. He's, going to, he's actually a doctor. So based on his vocation, he's going to give us details that Matthew doesn't give us and Mark doesn't give us. Mark's gospel was written by Peter. So there's different perspectives and different things uh, that, that we receive from this. So Malachi 3, uh, 1 through 3 is this. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, that in and of itself is a problem because God is no longer living in the temple that he told his people to build. God will not live amongst compromise. When they begin to worship other gods, when they begin to give themselves to idolatry and all those different things, God says, okay, love you, I'm out. I'm not going to, I don't live in that environment. So he dips. And you're going to see that, that Zechariah is going to be in a temple praying at the time of incense, and God is not there. Could you imagine a prayer meeting? I've, I've been to some prayer meetings, and I tell you, God is not there. <laughs> People say, whether well, two or more gathered in his name, I understand what you're saying. The book of Revelation also shows me a picture of Jesus knocking on the door of his own church, and he was knocking on the door of his own church because he wasn't there. <laughs> so that's, that's another message. But, uh, okay. Uh, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his people, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
He is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. So he's talking about a messenger and then the Lord returning to his temple. And he says that this Lord is going to come and he's going to purify the sons of Levi. And that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus went into the temple with the whips. Those are the sons of Levi. So they were desecrating a temple, selling uh, blemished offerings at an exorbitant price. So it's not that you can't sell things in church, it's that you can't rape the people of God in church and then give them a blemished sacrifice. So that is why Jesus went in there and, and he went in there with whips and that's what he did. He, he purified the sons of Levi. So this is this fulfillment, this prophecy from Malachi is fulfilled in John the Baptist being sent to prepare the way and then Jesus, who is the way, going and purifying the sons of Levi with the whip in the temple. This happened, it's, it's fulfilled. Malachi 4, watch this, you're going to see another prophecy. This is 4 verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I have commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Do you say that, do you see how the same day has two descriptive words about the same day? Great. And dreadful. It's the same day. So perspective really does matter. Alright? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So the spirit of Elijah is going to be manifested through the ministry of John the Baptist, and his purpose is to first turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And then the response is the children, they turn their hearts back to their fathers. One of the things that the enemy does to stop uh, the purposes of God is the enemy tries to bring a disconnect in generations. And so when, when you see fatherlessness, poverty, and all of these things, abortion, and all these different cultural things that are made to destroy the family unit, what you see is the enemy trying to block the people of God from receiving an inheritance. When God said that he would pour out his spirit on his sons and his daughters, that old men would dream dreams and that young men would see visions, what you see is the prophetic spirit connecting generations for the purposes of God. The enemy wants generations to be disconnected from the purposes of God. God is not the God of Abraham. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations working together toward the purposes of God. When God's told Timothy to find faithful men who will teach men, if you listen carefully to that verse, there's four generations attached to that command that Paul gave to Timothy. So God is a, is a God of generations. Jesus' whole ministry was a father-to-son relationship. So there's this idea of the prophetic spirit connecting fathers to sons, sons to fathers, two generations working together for the purposes of God. So Elijah, the spirit of Elijah is going to be upon John the Baptist to turn the hearts 
of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so there's something that is specific here in his calling and in what God had called him to do. Now, let's go to uh, Luke uh, chapter 1. We're going to read 8 through 17. I'm going to read a lot of scripture and then I'm going to tie it all together the best that I can and say, well, what does this mean for us today? Because there's a meaning for us today, but if we don't get the original meaning, then what we do is we make it about us when it's not about us. All right? Um, Luke 1 verse 8. So it was while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And, he, and you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Listen to the description of greatness here. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This is very interesting because greatness is often defined by what you do. Here, greatness is defined by what John won't do. And in the kingdom of God, you have liberty to do certain things. In other words... There are things in the kingdom that you can do, and those things are permissible. In other words, you can get away with them. God is not sitting there with a checklist going, look what he did today, can't wait to punish him. No, that's not how God is. If that's your view of God, then we've got to press delete on that. But, but, there's a but, and this is the but. There's things that you can do that are permissible, but they're not profitable. So in the kingdom, if you want to be great... You have to first do and teach, not just say things and live a disconnected life from what you say, but actually do what you say, actually be about what you say you're about. And if you really want to live a life of being profitable and being productive in the kingdom of God, you have to move past the permissible, past just doing what you can do to get away with it, to do your very least. And you have to live in the extra mile and you have to do what is profitable, not just what is permissible. The difference between a leader is leaders do uh, what is profitable, and, and most people just do what is permissible. People who are actually great at something are people who go the extra mile. And there, there's, a, there's a big difference between someone who is okay at something or someone who is great at something. When you're okay at something, you're not remembered for what you do. When you're great at something, as soon as someone uh, thinks of you, they associate you with what you're great at. And one of the ways that greatness is defined here is that John will not drink wine, which means he will not position himself to be intoxicated, which means he will not corrupt judgment, which means that he will not make bad choices under the influence of something else that is from out here. He's going to live from in here, not from out here. Do you see the difference? In the kingdom, we're not called to live from what is out here. We're called to live from Christ within us what is in here. So I don't live for your opinion of me. Your perception of me is not my definition of me. 
how many likes we have, how many followers, I care less about that. That is not what's most important. What is most important is that we are a faithful people. And here you see Zechariah, he is faithful. He is showing up and praying at a temple that God himself doesn't even live at anymore. Let me explain to you why an angel of the Lord is sent. An angel of the Lord is sent to the temple because God doesn't live there. If God lived there, God would speak to him himself. God doesn't live there. God doesn't live in his home. God did not, does not live in his temple. So God sends an angel to his house because he doesn't live there. Because God said, I'm not going to live in the midst of this chaos and dysfunction. You can live like that. I'm not going to live like that. And so God is good and God is looking to fulfill his good word to his people. So he sends an angel. And this angel brings a message of hope to John. Because in that culture, if you don't have children, in that culture, in the ancient world, not having children was perceived to be a curse. Barrenness was perceived to be a curse. We look at children as an inconvenience. But they looked at children as the heritage of the Lord. They looked at their children as their 401k plan. They looked at children as their retirement. So the wealth... Uh, in those in the ancient world was not just determined by what you have but also by who you have all right so that was a different world view here so anyway and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God remember what what did what did Elijah do on Mount Carmel he said if Baal is God serve him but if God if the Lord is God serve him And so he brought the people to a place of decision through confrontation. He had to make a confrontation so that they they could see clearly who is who and what is what. And then from that place of confrontation, the children of Israel had to make a decision who they were going to serve. And the thing is that we will serve someone. We will serve something. So you have to really think about and choose what it is that you want to serve. Do you want to serve other people's opinions of you? Do you want to serve the devil's voice telling you that you're not good enough, you're this, you're that? Do you want to serve uh, to, to try to please someone who's not even here, who doesn't even care about you? We spend so much time trying to impress people that don't even care about us. Why am I going to spend my life trying to impress someone that doesn't even care about me? And then neglect the people that really do care. For more likes? No thanks. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. You see that? The wisdom of the just. What does that mean? It means that if you're wise, you will do justice. If I'm wise, I will treat people fairly. Not always be trying to get over on people. If I'm wise, I want you to win so that we win together. In the kingdom, a good business deal is not me getting you. It's us prospering together. It's not how much I can get out of the deal. If you come to it with that, your relationships won't last. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John is coming with a prophetic voice to prepare people specifically for Israel's Messiah for Jesus. 
And the reason that John had to prepare people is because Jesus is going to come with a message that is so radical. I was going to say gangster. It's so gangster. It's so crazy. If you would, if you would be, if you and I were first century Jews listening to Jesus, you know what we would say? He's, he's out of his mind. He's totally out to lunch. We would not, we would not be able to hear, most of us would not be able to hear Jesus because some of the things that Jesus said transcend human understanding. So now you're sitting there and you have two options. There's no way you understand what he said, I promise you. So you either believe him or you go, I don't understand you, I can't believe you. And that is how Western minds work. Western minds work, go, I'll understand, then I'll believe. Faith works, I will believe myself into understanding. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So faith brings us into understanding. Understanding does not bring us into faith. You see, this is post-enlightenment thinking. Some of our minds have been sodomized by books we've never read. Because that spirit is in the air. It's in the culture. There's people who have Greek and pagan ideas about the afterlife that have nothing to do with, with first century, second century, have nothing to do with the Bible, not at all, Greek mythology. That's what pe- many people think of the afterlife in terms of Greek mythology that they have never read in their, in their life before. So we have to really renew our minds and get ourselves to a place of understanding. So what happens is, I want you to remember when we were back in Malachi that there was in Malachi 4, what was, what was Malachi 4 saying? Malachi 4 was saying that there, there's some sort of a strange connection to the law of Moses. Remember the law of Moses? Do you guys remember that? Are you guys alive? Remember the law of Moses. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb. For all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember Moses. Watch this. Behold Elijah. I will send you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Malachi. Some people call him Malachi. Italian prophet. I'm joking. Malachi. Right. He's prophesying of. He's telling us. Not us, but he's telling the Jewish people to remember the law of Moses. And then he goes into a totally disconnected idea about, behold, I will send Elijah. Like, Elijah is either dead, literally, or he was sucked up into a heaven by a whirlwind, and that's not metaphorically. So, either way, he's been gone for a long time. (laughs) Moses, he's been dead for a really long time. Like a long time. The devil was fighting over his body. The devil wanted Moses' body. So you're talking about two guys. One is for sure dead. The other one, we don't know where he is. He seems to be in heaven somewhere, but he's not on earth. And now he's telling us to remember them. Let's keep that in mind with Matthew 17. Now watch. Verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shined like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared talking with him. Jesus came 
to fulfill the law and the prophets. So the law that we couldn't keep, Jesus came to fulfill. So not only did Jesus die for our sins, but because of his virgin birth, he lived a perfect life. See? Because his seed is from heaven. He's fully God, fully man. That's the mystery. That's the mystery of our faith. That is the centrality of Christianity. The mystery of Christ. Fully God, fully man. He didn't become God. God became a man. God wanted us to see what he's like so badly that he put on skin. God wanted to step into our condition, into the human condition, and give us an example worth following. Okay. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw none but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Do you see how confident Jesus is talking about rising from the dead? He's talking about rising from the dead like we would talk about, let's go grab a pizza. He's like, fellas, fellas, hey, don't tell anybody about this until I rise from the dead on the third day. Rise from the dead. Now, I, do you understand what these guys are thinking? They, they must be thinking, this guy, dead people are showing up from thousands of years ago. He's shining like the sun. This is whacked out. You know what I mean? This is crazy. I mean, something is happening here. Could you imagine if someone from like 1,500 years ago is sitting there talking to us like, hey, guys, how you doing? Like, Really? Yes. Let's continue. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So now they're saying, but wait a second. The religious people are saying that before this Messiah comes, Elijah has to come first. Who did they just see? Yeah, but Jesus, but who else showed up? Moses and Elijah. Doesn't it sound like Malachi's prophecy? Sounds like God is up to something. Let's continue. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him. And they did not know him. But did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Are are you you guys tracking with me? Jesus gives us a lesson in biblical interpretation. He teaches us that I do not interpret the Bible, that you do not interpret the Bible, that a flashy television preacher does not interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. He's saying, no, no, no. 
Elijah has come. Jesus is giving us an interpretation to Malachi. So that means that I can press delete on all of my opinions and every other commentary on Malachi. I don't need to know any other thing about Malachi except what Jesus just spoke about it. When God has spoken about something, we're no longer entitled to an opinion. If God hasn't spoken clearly on a matter, we're entitled to opinion. Once God has spoken clearly on a matter, throw our opinion out the window. Our opinion doesn't matter. Jesus is giving us a lesson. This is Jesus. He's a, by the way, he's a rabbi. He's a Jew. He's giving us a lesson in scriptural interpretation. And he's telling us that prophecy was fulfilled and the spirit and the power of Elijah was manifested through John the Baptist. Are you guys tracking with me? You're like, so what? What does that mean for me? Stick with me. Mark 9. I'm going to read the same story to you. And he said to them, Surely I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain and by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, so, so much as no launderer or no dry cleaner on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. You ever see someone like that? It's funny, like, it's very interesting to see how people get around famous people. Sometimes famous people make people jittery. You know, they get all dressed up to see him. They, they, get like, they get, like, nervous. So Peter is like that. He's, like, nervous. He doesn't know what to say. So instead of shutting up and absorbing the moment, he has to say something. We're not like that. We're different, right? Okay. Seven. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Now, this is Father God speaking. The Holy Spirit is upon Jesus for ministry. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's the word of God from before the foundation of the world. Not created, begotten. He's the uncreated one. He's the eternal one. He's the eternal word manifested in the flesh. Born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. A cloud comes and overshadows them and a voice is speaking from the cloud. Now, what used to lead Israel by day and by night? Fire by day, cloud by night. Excuse me, cloud by day, fire by night, right? So this is the glory of God. This is the kabod. This is what they call the glory of God. This is what used to live in that temple that was not in the temple when Zechariah was there. This glory is resting on the new temple. Who's the new temple? Jesus, our great high priest. Not only is he the lamb who'd been sacrificed for the sins of the people, he's also the high priest who inspects the lamb. Jesus is not only the lamb and the high priest, he's the temple. Do you, do you see that? It's almost like all of the destiny and all of the purposes and the plans and the prophecy and all of everything lands on Jesus. Do you see that somehow this is more about Jesus and less about us and less about our feelings, our life, less about, more about him? Do you, do you see that? Not about religious temple, not about church attendance, not about dropping money in a bucket. That's great, but it's more about him. And when he is in his proper place in our life, everything else 
everything else starts to crack into place. All right? So now a cloud comes and overshadows them. And from the cloud, the father speaks and says this. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Now, what's profound, very profound about this, this is very profound. The only thing the father says, the only command the father gives in the whole entire New Testament, one command, hear Jesus. That's it. Hear, listen to, properly perceive, and fully discern and know and understand Jesus. This is the father's heart for his son. The father wants us to know his son. He understands that if we know his son, which is primary, everything else that is secondary, everything else that doesn't matter, gets put in its proper place. But first, Jesus. Do you see that? Not three temples. This is what man wants to do. Man wants to create a religious monument that is marketable. Let's make three temples. We can have a conference. We can release three books. We can make an Instagram account. It'll be great. That's not what the Father has interest in. The Father has interest in Jesus. Most people are not interested in Jesus. I wrote a book about Jesus. hardly ever sells. I wrote a book about healing the sick and doing other things. The book sells. No, people are not interested in, I really want to write a whole book on how Jesus redefined everything. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, who will buy it? Most people are not interested in Jesus. They're interested in what Jesus can do for them. The Father is looking for people who are interested in Jesus. There's something profound that in the maturity level of the apostles at this time, they cannot fully hear correctly. So what does God do? God brings two men that will listen to Jesus. Moses and Elijah. And you're going to see in Luke, Luke makes it clear about exactly what they're talking about. That's why the, 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 three, uh, the threefold perspective is profound and very helpful. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no, uh, not anyone, but only Jesus with themselves. You know the Father is speaking when all you can see is Jesus. The Father wants to speak to us about Jesus. Everything that I'm not, Jesus is. Everything that I don't have, Jesus has. Everything that I need, He is. Every character deficiency and weakness in me, is my strength is found in Jesus. Everything that I'm lacking, Jesus is not. Jesus is the remedy to every problem in my life. Every problem in your life, every issue, you just get a hold of Jesus, things will never be the same. And, and I, I want to say that to, to anyone who is here, who's watching, who's listening, who's struggling, you get a hold of Jesus, the real Jesus, the risen Jesus, things will never be the same. But if you don't pray, you won't change. You see Jesus' face is transformed in the place of prayer. In the place of intimacy with the Father, there is transformation in our life. You stay the same, you don't pray. Things dominate you, you don't pray. You're led by your feeling, you don't pray. But if you get in the face of God, things are bound to change. And everything will distract us from getting into the face of God. Everything. Your phone will buzz, the iPad. 
everything. You're ne we're never tired until we pull out the Bible. Now, you pull out the Bible, all of a sudden you're tired. You weren't tired on Facebook, on Instagram. Now, all of a sudden, you're tired. What the heck is that? That's the devil. He doesn't want you to get the word of God in your heart because you start believing, you start speaking. It starts to shift the trajectory of your life. You stop becoming a victim. You're a victor. You start walking in faith. You start getting victory. You start displacing the enemy. See? But everything will come against this one thing. Us praying and getting in the face of God. And I'm telling you, I'm going to go old school on you. Old school Pentecost. Listen, if you learn anything today, you got to learn how to get a hold of God yourself. When, when, I, was, when I first got saved, let me, let me tell you what I did. I would come home from work. I had a normal job. I was a plumber. I would throw myself on the floor three hours a night on my face. Three hours a night. My friends would call me and say, you want to go out? Nope, I'm going to be on this floor three hours. I'll catch you three hours later. Three hours. Three hours on your face crying, God, I don't want to go back. I don't want to be who I was. I don't want to go where I went. God, I'm desperate. You got to do something in my life. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to knock on this door until you answer me. I'm going to pursue the things of God. I don't care what the world has to offer. I don't care what people think. I'm after you. You got to do something in my life. I was a plumber. I would drive every day up Route 208, make the hook. By the time I make the hook from Route 17 to 208, I would be weeping like a baby. God, you got to do something with my life. And after years of being hungry and being desperate and being willing, God began to answer. And you know what? We lose the hunger and desperation. We just settle for nothing. Listen, I'm not here to settle. I'm not here to have a nice, sweet little church. I want to see the Holy Spirit come in like a wrecking ball and break everyone's ideas of what God does and have people on the altar saying, Jesus, I'll do anything. Jesus, I'll go anywhere. I don't want a big show. I don't want bigger screens and nicer chairs. I don't care about that. I want to see the fire of God touch down in this nation, in this neighborhood, in our lives. I want to see people get free of addiction, stop being a victim, walk up, raise your family, do the things that God's called you to do. I want to see things change. I did not come here to play games. I'm sorry, I'm not yelling at you, but I'm serious. This is God is looking for men and for women who want to get hold of him. This is about him. This is not how can we feel better, six keys to a better life now. This is about the fire of God coming into our life, burning the no out, and us saying, whatever you say, Jesus, I'm in. And, and that's how some of us were. Some of us were so crazy that whatever people say, whatever you, you, whatever you want to do, I'm down. I'm in. You down? Oh, I'm, I'm down. I'm real down. I'm so crazy that the only direction I'm going is down. I'm real down. Right, but all of a sudden now we got to pray about it, think about it, got to feel about it. Listen, Jesus says it. Let's just do it. So this cloud comes and rests upon them, overshadows them. This is the Father. This is the Kabbalah. This is the glory of God. The word overshadow is profound. This word is the word invest in. God is saying, "I'm coming." To my people, with my presence, to invest myself in them. Jesus said, after I'm raised from the dead, what is he doing? He died, not so you could go to heaven. He died so that he could live inside of you, so that you could be his new temple, so that we could be heaven and earth people. Not so we could have fire insurance one day. 
It's about bringing heaven to earth. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, Lord, make sure that I'm a good boy so when I die, I go to heaven. No, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, which means we live in the midst of a conflict. We live in a conflict zone. We're singing about, I don't want to be a slave of fear. And some drunk guy walks in. This is hood church, man. This is, not, this is not the suburbs. A drunk guy walks in while we're singing, I don't want to be a slave to fear. Well, don't. Love on the guy. He doesn't want to stay. That's fine. We have to walk out what we talk. We have to be about it. Or else what are we doing? So the, the cloud comes and overshadows them. God is saying, I am investing in my people. I want to bring forth myself from my people. You, you see that? And then Jesus talked about after I am risen from the dead, he died so that he can live in us. Not just so that we can go to church and feel good about ourselves. He died to live in us. What does that mean? He wants to live through us. He's inside. He wants to get out. Right? And we spend more time resisting him than flowing with him. Not you, me. We. We do. Oh, I don't want to pray for them. I'm in a rush. Adam, you are not that cool and you are not that busy. Trust me. Oh, I got to go. What? You got to go home and eat? Your food will be there in 10 minutes. It's already cold. Oh, I got to do this. No, you don't. Who cares what people think of you? They're not going to pay your bills. The person out of your work doesn't like you. So what? They're not going to pay your bill. They're not going to pay your phone bill. They don't care about you. Who cares what they think? Love on them. All right. I'm getting worked up here. Now as they came down the mountain, he commanded them that should tell no man the things they had seen till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. It's very important. Sometimes God reveals things to you and those things are for later, not for now. So not everything God reveals to you now, you should say now. Some things that God reveals to you now, you should only say later. Revelation has a time frame on it. There are things that I've known for years that I still haven't spoken about because the time is not now. So when they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Now, they're questioning because they're good Jews. Good Jews believe in a resurrection. They believe that at the end of history, that God is going to come and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And the bad people are going down and the good people are going some sort of up. But it's not really up. It's more like a heaven and earth coming together and a renewed planet. And we're going to get new bodies. And we're going to be here on earth forever. So that's what good Jews believe, but they didn't believe that somehow in the middle of human history, God was going to break in, raise a Jewish guy from the dead who's fully God and fully man, and give birth to a new creation. That's why when you, when you hear John, in the beginning is the word, it's a creation narrative. He's talking about new creation in the creator. It's a whole different world. It's not when you die. It's right here, right now. Eternal life wouldn't be eternal if it wasn't for right now. It's not life after you die. This is not a biggie small's life after death. This is life now. Right now. Eternal life is to know God right now. Not when you die. Now. What good is it to know God when I die? Doesn't even make any sense. Sounds like a pathetic story. And they asked him saying, 
Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So even then, there was these misunderstandings about what they thought was the end times. Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming and first restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? He's talking about himself, by the way. He calls himself the Son of Man. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it were written of him. He's talking about his cousin who they killed. Did you know that? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about John the Baptist. Did you know that John the Baptist was his cousin? He was a Levite who never ministered in the temple because God was doing a new thing. It was God's will for his daddy to minister in the temple, but it wasn't God's will for him to minister in the temple. He was the voice of one crying where? In the wilderness. But if his daddy wasn't faithful in the temple, he wouldn't have been a voice in no wilderness. That's why we have to be sensitive and faithful to what God called us to do. I cannot fulfill what God called you to do. You cannot go where God is sending me, but we can support one another. We can encourage one another. We can hold each other accountable. We can bless each other. We can say, hey, man, I'm not going, but I'm with you. See? Last one. We're going to end up on good time. Luke 9. Now, I love Luke. I really like, to me, this is my actually, I like this story. I like his account the best. That's just my opinion. All right? But I tell you truly... And some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed. And the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Where was he changed? The place of prayer. He was transformed. The place of prayer. The word transformed. The word. Uh, it's, it's the word metamorphosis. Anyway. And he. Behold two men. Talked with him. Who were Moses and Elijah. Who appeared in glory. And spoke. Of his decease. Now. The other accounts did not tell us about that. Luke did. God bless him. The word decease in Greek is the word exodus. Exodus. That's a Jewish word. The word decease is the word exodus. So what's happening is in Jesus there is a new exodus. What is Exodus? Exodus is coming out of bondage and moving into the promised land. Who is he with? Moses. Who is he with? Elijah. Do you know that, do you know that Moses had a prophecy too? Do you know that Moses' prophecy was that you will take the people into the land? And guess what? He didn't. You know why he didn't? Because he didn't deal with his issue. So his, what happened? His issue dealt with him. When he was not faithful, God was still faithful. Moses appears in the promised land with the promised Messiah. <laughs> Even in death, God is faithful. 
God fulfills his word. God is watching over his word to perform it. So now you have this Malachi prophecy and this prophecy that God had given Moses. It's being fulfilled in and through Jesus who came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to bring forth righteousness that we could not do from the law, but he could. And justice, which is what the prophets were always prophesying about. Do you know that the, the Bible talks more about how we treat the poor, how we treat the widow? The Bible talks more about the poor than any other thing. Because how we treat less people who are in a, in, in a less circumstance than us is a real reflection of who we really are. 2,000 scriptures in the Bible on justice. 2,000. So, let me, let me just explain one thing, because this is hard. Because I, I know that we know, and I know that mostly everyone watching here, especially people sitting here, believes that Jesus died for their sins, right? If you take communion, you better believe that. <laughs> so, you, we believe that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture on the third day he rose. I'm, I'm totally sure everyone here believes that. I know that. But one of the things I'm not convinced of, because I myself didn't even think about it, so I'm... I'm, I'm pretty sure most of us haven't spent much time thinking about it, is that when you're a first century Jew who's living under Roman occupation in a temple with no glory, with promises that are yet to be fulfilled, when you hear and you see Jesus, what, what, what are you hearing? Because this idea of we think that dying and going to heaven is the central part of the gospel. And I just want to tell you that, like, when you die as a Christian, you don't experience death. You you breathe out, and when you breathe in, you're in paradise. But paradise is not forever. It's like a holding tank. One day, heaven and earth are going to become one, and we're going to have a resurrected body like Jesus is demonstrating right here. So what was the Jewish hope? What were the Jewish people hoping for? Because the gospel is first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is not, like, you, you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God as a Gentile. You don't even know what that means. Rome thought when John the Beloved, John the Revelator, talked about the kingdom of God, they thought a foreign army was going to invade Rome. That's why they put John on the island of Patmos. That's where he wrote the book of Revelation. They were afraid of a 90-year-old man who was old and skinny and brittle because when he spoke, there was so much authority on his words... That Rome thought there was going to be a foreign invasion. So he got to the book of... And then first, they put him in oil two times. He wouldn't burn. So then they got to send him to a psych ward, which is the island of Patmos. That's what the island of Patmos was. It was a psych ward. They just left you there to die. And then, you know, you're a bunch of crazy people. They kill each other. Nobody cares. That's the same thing they do to people today. Prison is not redemptive. They just leave you there to die. And taxpayers pay for you to just watch TV and die. So anyway, what, what happened here is this, is this is really something because they're talking, there's something that is happening, but my concern for us is that it's very easy for us not to perceive what God's doing because God does things in ways 
that we don't expect. Like he sends John the Baptist. John the Baptist doesn't eat like them, doesn't dress like them, doesn't worship at their church, doesn't dress like them, doesn't talk like them, doesn't live where they live. He's totally not them. So it's hard for them to receive him because he's totally other than them. He's a Levite who says, no, I don't want that. I'm not going to minister in the temple. No, thanks. I don't need a full-time job. I'm not your servant. And he ministers in the wilderness. Imagine what people thought. Imagine what his, what his, what his relatives thought. You had a bloodline job position that you could only get through blood. And you're rejecting what seems to be greatness for something that seems to be totally obscure. You're going to live in a wilderness and eat bugs? You're out of your mind. But somehow he knew that he was who Isaiah was speaking about. Somehow he knew that he was who Malachi was prophesying about. Somehow in his spirit when he read the scroll, he knew, I think that's me. What does that mean? It's critical for us because when we know who we are, we know what we should do. When we don't know who we are, we struggle with what we should do. When we're convinced of who we are, we know what we're supposed to do. He fulfilled a vocation that only he could have fulfilled. Very specific. Very profound. But he had to reject security. He had to reject what seemed to be significance. What seemed to be some sort of special privilege for something even greater. Jesus said he's the greatest man born of a woman. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Why? Because people in the kingdom of God are not defined by who they are. They're defined by who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's why the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist's greatness was determined by what he didn't do. Our greatness is determined by what Jesus did do. We live in a different season. And if, we don't know, if you don't know your season, you'll misperceive your assignment. All right. Who appeared in glory and spoke with him about his decease, or about which is his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So now Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus the Messiah about his death, which is not just a death, but it's actually an exodus. What did Peter write? Peter writes that we're coming out of darkness into what? Marvelous light. You see, out of, Paul writes that we're coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you see, I, do you see the out of and into? Do you, do you see that narrative? That's the Exodus narrative. We're coming out from the house of bondage, uh, you know, out of Egypt to a land of promise. A land, what's the promise? The promise is milk and honey. Milk and honey speaks of potential. It doesn't speak of what's there. There was not rivers of milk. They had to go and, and milk cows to get that milk. They had to go and, 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 and farm that honey or there's no honey. So when God gives you a prophecy, when God gives you a promise, it speaks to potential. It's not definitely, hey, you hit the Christian lottery, just sit there and wait. No, a promise and a prophecy speaks to potential, but you have to put your hand to the plow if you're going to maximize and receive the potential of everything that God promised. Now, here's the thing. This exodus is coming out of darkness, coming out of blindness, coming out of not knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. Coming out of the, the idea of an eye for an eye. 
coming out of, do you know the point of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? The point is that we would keep our eyes and teeth. That's the point. If I'm going to take your eye and you're going to take my eye, what's the point? Neither one of us, we're both losing eyes. Why don't we both keep our eyes and teeth and have lunch together? You see the point? So there was a, now what Jesus was warning Israel, and, and this is the thing, I, I just, I need to just take a whole time on this. So I'm not going to do it today. Most people are unaware of Jesus' prophetic vocation. Jesus, fully God, fully man, creator of all things, redeemer, savior, all those nice you know, titles. Yes. But Jesus was also a prophet. He said out of his own mouth, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Jesus came to fulfill a very, very, very specific prophetic vocation. If you don't embrace that word and that vocation, you're, you're headed for a major calamity. And this was the calamity. Every time, uh, what would happen is, because the children of Israel were occupied, they were living under Roman occupation, they were an oppressed minority. Oppressed minority. So what happens to oppressed minorities? They get pissed off and say, no way. Heck no, not anymore. We're going to fight. Okay, I understand that and I get it. You're angry. I understand. I would probably feel the same way. I probably have a chip on my shoulder. I'd probably be pissed off as well. But guess what? Here's a problem with that. You're going to start a revolution against Rome. Not going to work. You're going to be absolutely obliterated and crushed. Totally. So every time fake messiahs would rise up, they would lead the people of Israel into a revolt against Rome. Jesus is saying, fellas, my kingdom is not of this world. This is not how the ball moves forward. You're going to try to advance the kingdom through violence, through anger, through a revolt against Rome. You are going to be totally destroyed and completely crushed. And the temple is going to be flipped upside down and it's going to be destroyed. Everything that is sacred to you is, being, is going to be done away with if you pursue life in this manner. So the exodus that Jesus is talking about is coming out of the system of the world, coming out of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, coming out for if someone strikes you, you strike them harder. He's saying, fellas, this is not going to work against Rome. You're going to die and you're going to lose. So the new exodus was coming out of a way of doing life that was not Jesus' way of doing life. So when Jesus calls us into himself, he's not just saying, guys, I want you to have fire insurance when you die. That's true. That's great. Amen. Like, it's better than going to hell, right? Obviously. But that's not the point, and that's not why we're on earth today. We're on earth today to live a Jesus way of life. That's a more sustainable way. So this exodus is an exodus out of the old way of doing things. How did you used to see money? Come on, let's, let's bring it real. How do you used to see women? Come on. How do you used to see men? All right, come on. You want me to, let's, let's, how do you used to view money? Come on. How do you used to view yourself? How do you used to view the future? How, what's your relationship to the pain you've experienced? Jesus wants to come in, call us out of that, radically redefine how life should be lived and allow us to live it together in him and with one another. That's the point of this life. 
The point of this life is not to go to heaven when you die. That's not the point of this life. And that, that's comforting to us because we all have an expiration date. Right? But that is not the main point. The main point is living a Jesus kind of life. Are, are you seeing? Now here's the good news. Do you want good news? The good news is the Father comes with a cloud. Rests upon his people. He comes with his presence to invest in his people so that his people can live through him. He's saying, guys, that, that cloud, that glory, used to live in a temple. No, no, no. Now, guys, you, not individually only, but you collectively, I want to live among you. God wanted to live among his people. He calls them out of Egypt and then says, let's say we'll build a tabernacle. I want to live among my people. Then they, they get more money, more power. They get a big temple. He says, great, I want to live with my people. God's desire is to live with us. Emmanuel is what? God with us. God doesn't want us to date him on Sunday. God wants to live with his people. Are, are, you, are you guys tracking with me? God wants to be involved in every part of our life. And that is how, honestly, we become powerful people. You, you become powerful when you invite God into every part of your life. Any area of your life that you don't invite God into, you're headed for unnecessary problems and unnecessary pain. Promise you. You don't believe me? Just do it. I'll pick up the phone when you call, but I'm telling you, any part of your life that you don't invite God into and him to be the center of, it, it's headed for, a, you know, a, a disaster. I tried it. It doesn't work. All right? We're going to jump over, and I'm going to give you an example of this, this type of thing. Now, now this is really good because you're going to see us because we're in this next story. You're going to find us, kind of how we are and how God is changing us, right? This is Luke 9. They're about to have an encounter like we have. They're about to encounter rejection. They're about to go through something that doesn't make them feel good. Have you ever went through something that doesn't make you feel good? How do you respond to that? Watch the response and listen to the words of Jesus. Now, this is Luke 9, 51 through 56, and then we're going to wrap up here. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is talking about Jesus. And sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans, to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them like Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them 
and they went to another village. So this is what happens. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, so he wants to go through Samaria. Jesus experienced the move of God in Samaria. The Samaritans are like, you're going to Jerusalem. We don't want you to walk through here. Some reason they didn't want him. I don't know what it was. So what do the disciples do? The same thing that we can do when we experience rejection. What do we get? Mad. Do you see that? Am, am I putting this in or is that what happened? They get rejected. They get angry. Do you see the connection? Rejection, anger. Now guess what they do? Then they take their rejection and their anger. And Guess what they do? They take their rejection and their anger to the Bible. Interesting. And then they proof text and say, well, Elijah called fire down from heaven on people who were rejecting the one true God. So why don't we? Jesus said, no, no, no. You don't know what spirit you're of. See, another spirit will cause you to proof text the Bible with your own pain and to try to get work to, to get God to work on your behalf. When God wants to do something different, God is not in the, the, the business of destroying men's lives. He's in the business of saving men's lives. This is a new season. Jesus came to show them the way, and Elijah's way is no longer the way. Jesus is the way. So they're proof texting scripture because of their pain. Rejection led them to a place of anger. Now they're using the Bible to justify their anger. Because they don't handle rejection well. So you reject me, now I'm angry with you. Now I'm going to take it to the Bible. I'm going to proof text from the Bible. And that's another spirit working. So one of the things that we have to see is that another spirit is at work when we take the Bible out of context and we make it suit our needs because of our own pain. That's what they did. They were proof texting. This is like a Pentecostal tradition, proof texting. <laughs> anyway, so what happens here is Jesus says, no, 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 guys, fellas, <laughs> I am not here to destroy. I'm here to rescue. I'm here to save. Do you see that? So Jesus was letting them know, fellas, it's a new season. What God did and with and through Elijah, God is not doing in and with me. In fact, I am the fulfillment of everything that they said. In fact, everywhere that they fell short, I'm not. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets and to demonstrate a different way to be human. A different way to live. We are the people where heaven and earth meet. We are the people where God's glory lives. Do you know that the glory that used to live in that temple in Jerusalem now lives in the people of God? Who are the people of God? The people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. The people who believe in Jesus. Those are God's people. So we get to experience God's presence and God wants to live his life through us as we love one another, as we live differently. This is a different way. This is an attractive way to live in a world where people are all about themselves. They're all about what they can get, what they can do, what ladders they can climb. We're different. We don't seek to destroy men's lives. We seek to save men's lives. We seek to add to people, not to take from people. We're a different kind of human. I don't know if you know that. That's what the Exodus was about. The Exodus was also about, obviously, them leaving Jerusalem because it was going to be invaded by Rome. That's also part of Jesus' prophetic vocation. So he was warning them that an invasion is coming, and the invasion is a result of their rebellion against God and rejection of Jesus. 
What does that mean? It means that if we reject Jesus, we will be exiled and we will be captives. Now, we, not be, we may not be in Jerusalem, right? We're in New Jersey. But if I reject Jesus' way of doing life, I won't be free. I will be captive to something. I will be in bondage to someone. I will be in bondage to something. Jesus is the one who makes me free. So he's a good father. So he says, fellas, ladies, I want you to be free. I don't want you to be slaves. I don't want you to be taken from your land, taken from your place, taken from the position that God has for you. I want you to inherit all the promises of God. All of God's promises are yes and amen, but there's a whole new way of doing life. That's why we need to renew our minds so that when we see a problem, we don't see a problem, we see an opportunity. That's why when we see someone who's sick, we say, hey, that's an opportunity for God to break in. Um, James was sharing with me today on the way here something that T.D. Jake said, which is really amazing, that many times we want a miracle, but we don't want, we don't want the misery, and sometimes the misery is the precursor to the miracle. And he writes said it this way, that the church advances through miracle and martyrdom. That's how we advance. There's a struggle, there's a contention, there's a battle that's going on. But it's our job to enter into the land of promise and to receive everything that God has for us and to live this life out together, to live this life out in the spirit of one another. What is the spirit of one another? One another means I actually care about you. One another means I want you to succeed. I want you to win. One another means you actually think about me. One another means we care about each other. We love one another. We, that, that's, that's, but that's attractive. Do you know why? Because that's not how people live. That's the opposite of how people live. We're the opposite. Counter-cultural. Total opposite. But that's the way it works. That's, the, that's how we advance. So if we're going to do God's work, if we're going to do God's will, we got to do it God's way. There are many people who want to do God's will, God's stuff their way. It doesn't work. Do you know that the high priests in the Old Testament, they would have a rope tied around their leg in case they walked into the presence of God their way? They'd be dragged out. Now, God, it's a less extreme matter here now, right? We're in a season of grace, and hopefully no one's leaving church in a body bag. But the point, what's the point? The point is living life a whole new and different way. And, and, and this, is, this is the good news of it. Do you know that we do not live this life in our own power or in our own strength? We live... In the strength of the cloud. Through the voice of the one who said, listen to my son. He knows what's best for you. He'll lead you and he'll guide you. He'll be with you every step of the way. Hear him. Get to know him. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He loves you. He'll lead you. He died for you. He's worth following. He's worth listening to. He loves you. Respond to that. He has good things for you. He didn't come to destroy men's life. He came to save them. See that? 